Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, my name is Miles Rossi. I'm going to be doing a zoo news today because my dad is out playing music on toy again. Speaking of music, I really like the video Lego sets. You get to use them and make music. One of the characters is a red panda. My dad was able to find him for me. It was really nice, but I'm just kidding about doing zoo news. Here's my dad. Hello, hello, hello. That's right, y'all. That was Miles, and he was not lying. There is now, thanks to the video sets, which is like V-I-D-I-Y-O, a Lego Red Panda. It's not like a Red Panda Red Panda. It's a minifig, so it's like a anthropomorphic Red Panda with a boombox, but it has the tail, and it has the face of a Red Panda, so I will take it. And if that ain't Zoo News, I don't know what is. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, I actually do. I do know what Zoo News is. Zoo News is what you're listening to right now. It is our weekly look at what's going on in the worlds of zoos, aquariums, and conservation. It is a crowdsourced news podcast, meaning I do my own research, but I also love it when fans send in stories that I can then report on. So if you see anything that is Zoo News worthy, you just go ahead and send that to me. You can email it, rossafaripod at gmail.com, or you can tag me or DM it to me on social media sites. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you can find me at Rossafari, and hey, you should be following along anyway. And on TikTok, it's at Rossafaripod. The other thing that Miles said that is 100% true is that I am now attempting to podcast whilst on tour. Now, those of you who listen regularly know that I've been back to gigging for quite a while, but what I've been doing are what we call sit-downs, or regional theater gigs. Now, what that means is it's a professional theater gig, but instead of touring from place to place regularly, I go to a place and I sit down there, quite quite literally. I I put my drums down, I put my throne down, and uh, yes, a drummer's seat is called a throne. I'm not being egotistical. I'm also being egotistical, but it is really called a throne. And um, and I sit in one theater and I play for a couple of weeks or, you know, even months. That's how we got all of the amazing different facilities from Florida because I was gigging in Sarasota. And how we are about to get into a bunch of really cool facilities throughout New England because I then went off to gig in Vermont. But now I am on tour A different city every night, different state every night or two. Living on a bus, sleeping on a bus, waking up and showering at venues. It's a unique experience, y'all. So the next couple of episodes uh, of Zoo News and and of the podcast are going to be worked on on a bus as I travel around the country. So if anything sounds weird or if things get a little weird, that's my excuse. Even if that's not actually what caused it, that's my excuse.
But anyway, that's all the big news uh, from Rasafari World. And so let's get to an ad and then we will get to Zoo News. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamer Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com slash studios. All right, so without further adieus, get it? Like zoos and zoo news? No? All right, without further ado, here is Zoo News. Zoo News. It's the news that's about zoos. Zoo Well, we're going to start off this week by talking about an organization that, if you're following the podcast, you already know and love. So you may remember that last season we featured the Association of Minority Zoo and Aquarium Professionals on the podcast. We referred to them as AMZAP, and uh, it was really cool. If you haven't checked that episode out Definitely do so because it's an organization trying to change something that really needs to change in the industry, and they're doing a lot of amazing work. I was really honored to be asked to feature AMZAP on the pod, and uh, now they're getting some other press from a, also I guess, fairly legitimate source. It turns out that AMZAP and the founder, Craig Safo, were featured in an article in the Washington Post, talking about how zookeeping isn't common in the black community, but this black zookeeper wants to change that. It's a really awesome article that talks about the creation of AMZAP and also has some really cool testimonials from members about what the group is already meaning for them. There are also some really cool pictures in there, possibly one of a cute porcupine. Oh, worth checking out. Anyway, you can go to AMZAP's page on Instagram, which is A-M-Z-A-P underscore official, and follow the link to the Washington Post article. Um, it's just great to see this really important organization getting getting more press. It's pretty impressive. For a lot of people, it has become tradition every holiday season to go and see the Trans-Siberian Orchestra in concert. Trans-Siberian Orchestra, or TSO as those in the know call it, uh, have been touring around basically as one-hit wonders for the last 25 years because they released Christmas Eve and Other Stories, an album that features an instrumental that goes like this. Anyway, you get, you get, you get the point. Well, now TSO has announced that they are having a concert on Friday, December 3rd at 4 p.m. and again at 8 p.m. at the Huntington Center in Toledo. 
I've played there. That's kind of cool. Anyway, the band will be donating $1 from each ticket sold to the Toledo Zoo's conservation initiatives. So you can go hear some really cool orchestral guitar rock and support your Toledo Zoo. Love it. Thanks to TSO for doing that. And also for creating the song that's so cool and is like... That one. Okay, so this next story, um, I'm not going to be singing during, so sorry to disappoint. Uh, But it it kind of is a two-part story. So the first part of it is that NYC, that's that's New New York City for those who don't know, which is none of you, uh, mayoral candidate Curtis Sliva wants to close the Bronx Zoo and possibly all of the zoos in New York City. Now, okay, I I know what you're thinking. Whoa, John, how are you singing and having fun? And how is this like the third story when like, wow, this sounds like a big deal? Uh, Yeah, it's it's not. Sliva is a populist talk show host and, according to the New York Post, needs his opponent to, quote, drop dead on stage for even the smallest chance of victory in the mayoral race. So, why even mention this? Well, first of all, because it is a prominent figure trying to get the anti-captivity message out into the public more, and that's always newsworthy in our world. But second of all, and and even more importantly, and kind of the reason I'm bringing this up, is because I had a couple of people reach out to me asking about the headline in Newsweek that mentions this story. It says, and I quote, NYC mayoral candidate Curtis Sliva wants to close Bronx Zoo over animal welfare concerns. Now, let that one sink in for a second especially in light of what has been going on with Columbus and, and all of the controversy, you know, that we've talked about. And, and you read that headline and it's really scary. And we know that a lot of people only read the headlines and that's not ideal. So um, Newsweek, do better. Seriously, that's not what's going on. The, quote, animal welfare concerns that he is talking about is the idea that animals can't have good welfare in zoos because captivity is bad and they deserve to be out in all that, you know, untouched, unspoiled wilderness that we have in the world everywhere, question mark? I don't, I don't know. I hate this attitude so much. But it just goes to show that, you know, a headline can make a big difference and the way things are phrased really matters. I'm not going to lie. When this article was first sent to me, and I read Bronx Zoo and Animal Welfare Concerns, my heart plummeted. I love the Bronx Zoo. I love the entire WCS. I'm a member. I think the work they do is incredible. You may remember from the first episode of season two when Ron McGill said the WCS is the gold standard of what zoos can do for conservation. I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, it was, it was amazing. The, the love that the WCS has in the zoo community is is so well-earned and so important. And so to just throw up a headline saying, oh, there's concern about the animal welfare. No, there isn't. Some idiot doesn't understand what's going on and has a platform, and you've just expanded it for him. So um, you kind of suck, Newsweek. And uh, yeah, just for those who are listening, sorry to rant, but um, I, I think it's important to keep in mind that like this stuff matters, you know? And um It's important for those of us who understand what zoos do to to spread the word, whether through a really funny, awesome and informative podcast or um, just by talking to people in your in your own world. We all need to be zoo evangelists. I don't know. But uh, yeah, just something to think about. Stupid.
Newsweek, more like fake Newsweek. <laughs> the Philly Zoo recently announced that they have a new baby rainbow boa living in their reptile house. Now, that by itself would not be zoo news worthy. However, Rosalita, as the snake has been named, was born through a process called parthenogenesis. This is a form of asexual reproduction, insert masturbation joke here, in which an egg develops without being fertilized, which means that her mom, Rojo, had a little snakelet without the help of a mate. Rojo has been at the zoo since 2007 and has never been housed with a male. This is incredibly rare, but is not unheard of in rainbow boas. And in fact, many invertebrates and even some reptiles use this reproduction strategy. We do not know why yet, but uh, it's pretty cool. And it's really cool that Rosalita is now a member of the Philly Zoo family. And now, as we often do from birth to death, uh, it's time for our COVID update. And it's, it's not a great one this week. Not that COVID stuff is ever really great. But the Honolulu Zoo has announced that two lions have tested positive for COVID-19, including a 13-year-old male lion named Ikundu, who passed away from the disease as well as underlying health issues. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Uh, anecdotally, from what I'm seeing doing Zoo News every week, it really seems like the Delta variant is taking down a lot more animals than the non-Delta variant, the original variant of COVID. And um, I, don't, I don't love it. It's not great. It also seems that these animals are contracting the disease despite vaccinations and PPE being used amongst zoo staff. Now, it brings up the question of how that's happening, and we don't really have an answer yet. Um, the one thing that we do know, though, is that being vaccinated is the best way to stop this or slow it down in this case. And so uh, this is your now weekly reminder to make sure you're vaccinated and uh, get your boosters if you're able to and, and just, you know, all that stuff. Let, let's take this seriously. Uh, the Honolulu Zoo has just lost a lion because of this stupid, stupid disease that people are claiming is fake still. There are still people who do not believe this is a real thing. I don't generally argue in comment sections, but um, I did with a person because when the Toronto Zoo last week announced their new policy that I mentioned in last week's Zoo News about how you have to be vaccinated to go to the zoo, a bunch of people were saying like, what? Oh, can animals get it? <laughs> it's not even real. Animals can't get it. Yeah. Well, guess what, friends? They can. And I know I say this every week. I'm preaching to the choir. I'm sorry, but I, I it's just so frustrating. Um, so, yeah, y'all. Take care of yourselves and each other. And while we're talking about some tough-to-swallow stories, uh, let's chat about something that happened in Cincinnati recently. Many of you were probably following along with the pregnancy of Lightning the Sloth. Following along is, is a real good way to put it, because Lightning was pregnant for a little over 10 months before giving birth to an unfortunately stillborn baby. Lightning, as well as her mate Mo, are incredibly popular animals at the zoo. I've posted many a photo of Mo in particular, and my dancing sloth video of, of Mo got a lot of likes and attention. Um, they're just really, really good sloths. So, of course, fans of the sloths and the zoo in general were really excited about the pregnancy. 
And then there's the fact that sloth pregnancies can last so dang long, and also the gestation periods vary so much from individual sloth to individual sloth that um, it's really hard to predict a due date, much harder than with many animals. So this has been like quite an adventure story for people to follow along and, and get excited about for almost a year. But then there was an added element to it. A child named Oliver Nicholson, who was almost two years old when he passed away, had been a great lover of sloths, according to his parents. And after he passed away, his parents started an online petition asking the Cincinnati Zoo to name Lightning and Moe's sloth after their son. The petition got a lot of traction, with zoo members talking about it and over 81,000 people signing said petition. There was actually a lot of discussion in the zoo field about what the Cincinnati Zoo should do, because obviously if you start this trend of letting people kind of pressure you into naming a sloth or any animal after someone, then that, that can be an issue and can create issues down the line and, and PR nightmares. And um, also because, you know, sometimes animals don't make it, as happened in this case. Uh, but the zoo really stepped it up and they have announced that from now on, their sloth habitat will be known as the Oliver Nicholson Memorial Sloth Habitat. So instead of naming an animal after Oliver, they named the habitat after him a lasting, permanent memorial. Nice job by the entire team at the Cincy Zoo. And condolences to Colleen Adams and everyone involved with Lightning and uh, Mo, and, um, you know, to everyone involved in Oliver's life as well. Sad times, but it's a beautiful ending to a tragic story. And now we're going to stay at Cincinnati to end Zoo News on a happier, sillier note. The Cincinnati Zoo has a new fundraising effort going on called Rumps for Refuge. We've all seen the animal art where uh, an animal puts paint on its paws. Well, it doesn't really put paint on its paws. It's, its keepers do. And then walk across a canvas and, and make their own little art. Or even sometimes certain primates or even pandas and stuff will hold a, a paintbrush and then swipe it across the canvas and you get some impressionistic art. Uh, but the keepers at the Cincinnati Zoo have come up with a new one. They will give you an Okapi rump imprint. That's right. The keepers have trained their okapi to actually gather imprints of their stripes. Each imprint is entirely unique and may even still have a few okapi hairs stuck to them if you're really lucky. The money earned goes to support the okapi conservation project who have been on the pod and who you know we love, yay Lucas Mears. So uh, if you would like your own little connection to one of these Cincy okapis, Go ahead and purchase it, CincinnatiZoo.org. I will tell you, they're, they're $250, uh, but they look worth it. It's really cool. Go check out the art. You literally see the imprints of the stripes and, like, the tail, and honestly, it might be the coolest animal art I've ever seen. So go support an amazing cause and get yourself an Okapi butt. Conservation! Conservation! News time! Oh, yeah! So you may remember a recent story in which I mentioned that 23 species have recently been declared extinct in the United States. Well, as a follow-up to that, uh, eight of those species were native Hawaiian birds. 
This is raising some concern as Hawaii seems to be losing birds at an accelerated rate, even in this time of mass extinctions. Also, this episode is, is not great for Hawaiian animals, and that, that sucks. Sorry, 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 friends on the islands. What makes this fact even more disconcerting is the fact that Hawaii has more protected species of plants and animals than any other state, with over 500 different species on their protected lists. If there is any good news to come from announcing that eight species of Hawaiian birds have gone extinct, it's the fact that this has raised incredible awareness about the plight of other Hawaiian birds, and there is now a concentrated effort to try to save the other endangered bird species endemic to Hawaii. So, yay silver linings. Some good news about two incredibly endangered whale populations— Southern resident killer whales, which live in the Pacific Northwest and currently have a population of around 73 individuals, and North Atlantic right whales, which have a population of around 356 individuals um, and live in the North Atlantic, hence the name, uh, both experienced baby booms over the past year. Initially, researchers thought this might have had something to do with the fact that there was less boating happening because of the pandemic, but studies have actually shown that the opposite was true. Boating never really slowed down much, and actually a lot of people bought recreational boats and were spending more time in the water because it was one of the few places you could go and be away from people during the lockdown. So as of right now, there is no idea why both groups had baby booms, but um, it's really exciting that they did. Researchers are studying this while also cautioning people to not get too excited about the baby boom because, as I mentioned, um, we don't know why it happened yet, and it could just be a fluke. See, now that's not only a, hey, I play a character named Fluke in Million Dollar Quartet joke, but also whales have flukes. A Katie did was recently found in Connecticut that surprised the people that found it because said Katie did was pink. And y'all, we are not talking like kind of pink, like, oh, a light shade of salmon. We are talking a fever dream of a 12 year old child whose favorite color is pink and favorite animal is a Katie did. This thing is lurid, y'all. I highly recommend Googling pink grasshopper because it is gorgeous. It's so cool looking. Anyway, it turns out that this is not a new species, but that in fact, grasshoppers and katydids and certain other bugs that we think of as green occasionally come in other colors. It is a rare genetic mutation called erythrism erythrism? I should have figured this out before I recorded this. Yep, according to the internet, it's erythrism. Anyway, so these things exist, and you can have pink, or you can have other cool colors like yellow or orange, although obviously the main ones that we all see are green. In fact, and I found this really interesting, uh, research done and published in Scientific American back in 2013 finds that green is actually considered to be a recessive color genetically, but one that has become the prominent color thanks to, you guessed it, 
selective evolution. Obviously, green is a camouflage color, so those recessive genes end up getting passed on way more than the non-recessive ones because those animals live long enough to reproduce rather than being eaten. In genetics, this is known as directional selection, in which an alternate gene has greater fitness than the other. So, that's cool. Yay, pink katydids. And while we're talking about neat evolutionary stuff, it turns out that crocodilians are actually evolving at an incredibly fast rate. Now, that... That's just a weird headline, really. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> what's interesting about this is that, you know, crocodilians, which include alligators, crocodiles, and gharials, are some of the oldest species still in existence today. Um, they they outlived dinosaurs and have been with us, you know, ever since. And um, you kind of tend to think of them as old school, you know, oh, this, this crocodile was around back when T-Rexes were around and, and stuff like that. And, and I mean, that is, that is true. They, the, their, their forefathers were the, the species that no longer exist were and, and have evolved to what we have now. But this shines an interesting light in that they have been evolving at a rapid rate, as far as evolution is concerned, much more so than many other species. And that may actually explain why they managed to still be around because they are evolving to food sources and other things like environmental threats at an incredibly high rate. One of the biggest places this can be seen is in their skull shape, as their skulls have evolved repeatedly over this time, something that is, is normally very slow-moving in the evolutionary process. And, um, you know, there, there's this whole big study done on this, and I, I can't give it all to you in a news bite. As a matter of fact, I'm not even sure I understood all of it, if we're being completely honest. But the cool takeaway from this is the fact that crocodilians are evolving at an accelerated rate compared to most other species and also happen to have some of the longest staying power of any species. So when we're thinking about what it is that makes a species last so long, it may actually be not that they are slow and steady and whatever, but that they're evolving at a rate that we didn't realize or expect. It's actually evolution winning, which I just think is really cool and interesting. And now it's time for... In other news. Y'all remember a few years ago when... Arthur Demodica's Charging Bull statue suddenly appeared in New York City's financial district. It's this big statue of a bull that's supposed to protest against wealth disparity. Well, now another statue has shown up facing it. It is a seven-foot-tall bronze statue of Harambe, the gorilla that was shot at the Cincinnati Zoo after a small child entered the enclosure and became world news and a big deal. And then it, the, the, the statue of Harambe is facing the charging bull, which was surrounded by bananas, real bananas, not, not bronze bananas, for the unveiling of said statue. The statue and bananas were placed by Sapien Network as a display to show, quote, Wall Street has become bananas and wholly out of touch with the needs of everyday people. 
Sapien Network also announced that the bananas would be donated to food banks and community fridges. The organization's co-founders used Harambe as a symbol to challenge a system they said enriches wealthy elites and leaves the average person behind. Harambe is a representation of something that lets us look at more than just ourselves, Sapien Network's Robert Giamatti said. What are we aspiring to be as people? It's about connecting. A simple gesture of giving a banana builds community. As a society, we need to come together. We can't keep fighting to come together. So they put up a statue of Harambe. No words. At least it's not some anti-captivity thing, I guess. And our last story for the week comes out of the UK, where a police officer had to retract a statement he made about sharks. Because they weren't sharks. So this officer posted a tweet saying that they went to a flat in Suffolk and there was a problem. There was a homemade aquarium surrounding a Christmas tree that was filled with sharks. But upon further inspection, they realized they weren't sharks. They were goldfish. Now, in the officer's defense, I am sure that they were huge goldfish with sharp, pointy teeth. No? No. No, no, no. Nope. Not really sure exactly what happened here, but a cop thought that he saw a bunch of sharks in a person's flat, and they were goldfish. So... Uh, yeah, I, I. Is there a commentary I could make that's funnier than the fact that that happened? Nope. So let's just move on to animal, animal, animal holidays. Animal, animal, animal holidays. All righty, and uh, we're going to start off with the reminder that this is October, just in case anyone forgot, and uh, October is Bat Appreciation Month and Adopt a Shelter Dog Month. I don't know why I said adopt instead of adopt, but um, I did, and you got to hear it. Congratulations, you win. Anyway, moving on, uh, starting with uh, Sunday, next week is a couple of different weeks. It is both Bat Week and World Lemur Week. Aw, I like lemurs. They're cool. Anyway, moving on to individual days. Friday the 22nd, the day this episode is released, is Wombat Day. And also, National Make-A-Dog's Day. Now, I just enjoy this very much for a lot of reasons, mostly because I really like wombats, which have shield butts. If you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to the episode with Ren Howell. And also because who doesn't want to make a dog's day? So uh, I think every day is National Make-A-Dog's Day. At least it is in my world. Wait a minute. Wombats and dogs. Those are two of Ren Howell's favorite species, and, and wombats are in Australia. Wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Should I have done this in my Australian accent? No. Dang it. I guess the zoo copper really is always on the watch. Anyway, uh, Saturday the 23rd is Mole Day and also International Snow Leopard Day. I love snow leopards. They're so cool. I don't like when I hear about them eating red pandas. But other than that, great, great animal, great animal. 
And then uh, the 24th is International Gibbon Day. 26th, which is Tuesday, is National Mule Day. And that does it for your animal holidays this week. All right, folks, and there you have it. Another week of Zoo News is in the books. I'd like to say thank you to my Red Panda-level patrons, Laura Shank and PJ Bevan, for supporting the podcast. Remember, you can do that, too, by going to patreon.com slash rossafari. And also thank you to everyone who sent in stories for this week, including Danny Poirier-Larson, Colleen Lenahan, Anya Keen, Kim Cooley, Becca Feuer, Peter Oilo, Kristen Khalil, and Jacob Newman. I appreciate you all so very much. And hey, y'all, keep those stories coming. I am on tour, and it helps me a lot when I have to concentrate on my day job to have those coming in from y'all. Thank you again for that. And remember, friends, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra says Newsy Credits backwards by going... The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.